an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Ultimate Global Podcast. And in this episode, we are being joined by the co-founder of Pickup, um, Jacob Olson, to discuss on this topic of marketing for early stage startups. This episode is again in continuation with our special series of episodes that we are organizing with CEOs, founders and co-founders. Uh, and since uh, Jacob is a co-founder of Pickup, uh, which he's going to tell in a while what Pickup is, and how he came up with this idea. But welcome to this uh, episode, Jacob. I uh, really appreciate you always supporting uh, Ultimate Global Podcast uh, and you know other kind of things that I keep on doing in a very open and transparent manner. Thank you so much for that. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarab. I'm uh, excited to chat with you. And yeah, it's good to see you uh, very active across uh, LinkedIn and what you're doing here on the UGP podcast. It's awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Jacob. Uh, so to start off with this discussion, first of all, I would like to know more about Pickup and uh, how you came up with this idea, just for the listeners who might not be knowing about that. Yeah, so Pickup is a on-demand mobile and web app that connects customers who need deliveries, small moves, and junk removal services and connects them with drivers who have the vehicles that can complete those services, which is predominantly utes and vans. So I suppose the easiest way to describe it is the Uberization of utes and vans. And instead of moving people, we move big and bulky items that customers can't fit in their cars. So probably the the three biggest use cases that we have uh, for the pickup service is firstly junk removal, which is um, basically how the idea was born originally. Uh, one of our other co-founders, Levi, came up with the idea um, that because he's he lives on the Gold Coast uh, here in Queensland, and there's a lot of tradies up that way, and he works in the construction industry, so he was seeing a bunch of empty utes parked on the side of the road. Um, for long periods of the day and he's like surely there's a way we can tap into these vehicles and make them more productive and the first idea was junk removal you know that if someone needs an old couch or an old fridge or um, some green waste taken away one of these tradies when they finish their day can go and pick up that that item from someone's house or a business um, and make a little bit of extra income for the week so that's that's kind of how the the idea was born and then throughout the preceding six 12 18 months we sort of transitioned into the pickup and delivery side which now represents about 70 75 percent of our revenue um so that was probably a good idea that we brought that um service on um and the the two main use cases on that side of the business for the pickup and delivery is to pick up from retail stores and delivering to people's homes so you could think when someone buys a piece of furniture from a furniture store typically the the lead time is you know two days to a week and even up to four weeks depending on where the product's coming from but with our service because we're on demand the customer can either jump on the web make a booking or they can jump on our mobile app and make a booking or they can call us and make a booking and we can get there within a few hours and deliver the product for them so 
it really sort of increases the speed to get that product home. Um, and then on the other, the other use case is for small moves between uh, res residences. So let's just say you're a, a young person just out of home, you're you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, you might not have much stuff. So you might have a bed, a coffee table and a fridge, maybe a bedside table. You don't have much stuff, so you probably don't need a traditional removalist, right? Um, you probably don't want to be spending $500 to $1,000 to move a few items. Um, and if you don't have friends or family that have the right type of vehicle to move that stuff, then pickup is the solution um, for that. So they can, again, quickly make a booking online on the mobile app through the through the phone if they're, they're old school and they like to talk to someone. <laughs> um, and they can do, they can get that stuff moved at a considerably lower price than what they would with a traditional removalist. And they can pick and choose the time that it gets moved. Yep, that's a very exciting idea, Jacob. Um, as you said, uh, Uberization of uh, the things that you're doing and the way you described it, it's very easy, very simple. Uh, but still solves a very critical problem that we have. So uh, I think uh, kudos to your team um, and yourself for you know continuously driving this idea uh, because I know that a lot of startups, uh, they start with their idea and after a while, they don't want to continue with that idea because of certain reasons. Uh, and that is something which we'll be discussing in this uh, episode as well. But uh, coming back to this topic that we have for today, that is marketing for early stage startups. Um, how do you think that is very different uh, from the larger companies? Or do you think that there is some sort of synergies between how you market for your startup and how you market for a bigger multinational company? Yeah, well, there's there's a few major differences, I think. Um, firstly, as a as an early stage startup, which we still are, you, you obviously have limited resources. So both on the um, finance side and also time, you you most likely have a very small team, which we do. Um, so if you compare that to say a well-capitalized series B, series C, or even a public company, they have entire marketing departments um, with you know a separate person handling each little individual aspect of their marketing strategy. They might have someone who just does digital ads like Facebook and Google, and then they'll have someone who just handles email marketing. They might have a social media manager. Uh, they've got a CMO obviously as well, or a head of marketing, and they might have a content team. So they've got this big array of resources to draw on. Um, and then you compare it to someone like us, we're, we're only a, a couple of people. Um, so we've we've got to try and handle all those little activities, um, and and that's that's probably the biggest difference is that you just you stretch in terms of your resources. So you really got to focus on only a few things that are going to get the best bang for buck, um, and that's probably one thing that we found out probably the hard way is that we tried to do too many things um, with limited resources, and as you would know. Um, what, rather than focusing on one thing, if you try to do too many things, you end up doing nothing. So, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest um, thing that we found is that, uh, yeah, you're stretched with your resources. So you've got to make the time and money that you do have count. Yeah, I can totally relate with that because I've worked for a startup um, and how it feels like when there is uh, one person 
and uh, that is the that is the person who is taking care of multiple things at the same time but the advantage to that is what i found is uh, that you can learn a lot you can learn a lot of different things uh, in one role which you might not be able to do that in a larger company um, and i think that's a very core value that uh, uh, startups portray whenever they are looking for new people uh, to hire also uh, because they can portray themselves as uh, an organization uh, or as a small company which is uh, hiring to uh, so that you can wear multiple you know multiple hats in there and uh, that's how you can learn those different things which will help you later on in the career isn't it jacob yeah absolutely i mean coming into you know trying to build a startup um, not coming from a marketing background i mean i did uh, a couple of marketing subjects in my mba but that what I learned in university compared to what you actually have to do to build a company is just they're on two different ends of the spectrum. Um, so for anyone who wants to learn about business, about marketing, about startups, the best way to do that is just go either start one yourself. I mean, you can start, you can start a business these days with all the tools that we have available for with a very small amount of capital. Just, I mean, it depends on what type of service or product that you're offering, but um, either start one yourself or go get a job at an early stage startup because you will get exposure to so many different facets of the business that you wouldn't if you went and worked at a, a large multinational company. Another thing that I really want to discuss with you is related to this fact of optimizing your marketing budgets and setting up the marketing strategies. Um, so first of all, when you are setting up strategies for your startup, um, how do you look at it at a broader level? Uh, because I, I know that uh, you don't have a lot of people uh, as a startup. So how do you set strategies uh, and making sure that they are implemented and executed in the right manner? Um, well, I would say probably early on, we probably didn't have a strategy. And yet, like I said earlier, we, we learned the hard way about um, marketing and probably what we should have been doing. Um, if you want, I can take you through sort of step-by-step step our journey over the last um, 12 months or 18 months in terms of marketing. Um, probably when we first started, going back to the very early days, we were just marketing to family and friends and um, peers. So just out asking them and telling them about the product, seeing if they want to use it. That was, that was probably the way that we got some early traction, um, which everyone should do. I mean, that's the, the easiest way to get people to use your product and test it early on. Um, and then our, our next step, which looking back was completely the wrong move. But again, this is a part of starting a, a business. You, you live and learn. Um, what we did, we brought on a BDR who was selling our product or our service directly to um, retail and commercial customers. Now, the issues with that um, was that pickup, we didn't really have any visibility in the market. So for this person who was going out and doing cold calling to potential customers, um, there was no marketing qualified leads. There was no sales qualified leads there was nothing probably our, our product wasn't really even good enough um to be selling to big retail just yet and it was just a like a, a spray and pray approach um which looking back was totally the wrong move we, we didn't really have um 
we didn't really have any content out there. So let's just say, for example, the the BDR went and spoke to a retail potential retail client. They had a discussion. He told told them about what we did. Then when they went back to do a little bit of research on us, which as you would as a customer, you you want to know, okay, are these guys legit? We had a website, but apart from that, there wasn't much content out there. So um, it was probably, look, it was a good learning curve for us. Um, we will bring BDRs on in the future, um, but we're probably going to have a totally different approach to that. And then from there, um, and this is still why the BDR was working, we brought on a marketing freelancer um, who purely ran some Google and Facebook ads for us. But again, it was based on very little content and all we were really doing was um, capturing demand. So we weren't really generating any demand at that point. Um, and the niches that were the niches that we play in, sorry, um, for the in-demand capture spaces like removalist, junk removal, retail delivery, these have like a lot of competition. They're very they're extremely uh, competitive um, in terms of SEO and AdWords and all that sort of stuff. So um, we're putting out a bunch, well, not a bunch of money, but we're putting out a fair whack of money for um, an early stage startup for uh, Google and Facebook ads. And we we did get customers, like it does work, but in terms of the, the customer acquisition costs, it just, it wasn't a sustainable uh, option for us and we felt that we weren't getting enough from that uh, marketing freelancer and it was nothing nothing against them um, but again we probably didn't have the infrastructure for it to work as well as it, what it could have and then we went to the next step which was um, bringing on a marketing agency so at this point we were like okay let's let's bring on a more comprehensive solution for us because we didn't have anyone internally that was a marketing expert um and what what generally happens with a marketing agency you'll pay a monthly retainer and that can range from anywhere from five thousand up to you know there's big businesses that would probably pay fifty thousand a month um we weren't anywhere near that but there was a monthly retainer and then obviously with your ad spend and content creation spend as well um but the issues that I found and after speaking to a lot of marketing people who uh, you know high up in the space um, they typically these marketing agencies typically have anywhere from 20 to 100 clients so the people working on your account um, are spread very thin they might only spend two hours a week on your specific business and then further to that there's little accountability in terms of the marketing side if targets aren't met I know you you work in sales. Um, if you're not meeting quota, it's fairly cutthroat, right? Um, but on the marketing side, it te doesn't tend to be like that. Um, there is there is a lot of excuses that get thrown up, and it's like, oh, maybe this content just didn't hit, or um, we we need to tweak a few things, and we'll see how it works out for the next few months. But you know, as a as a growing startup, you you really need to be hitting some growth targets and um, for us, we played out that strategy with the marketing agency for about five, six months. And then only recently, a couple of months ago, we've scaled that right back and we're no longer using the agency. And finally, we come to the point where we are now, 
which is purely, well, not purely, but I would say 80% of our efforts are now focused on demand generation. So not sure how much you know about demand generation and demand capture, but demand generation um, represents like 95% of the market. So let's just say, for example, you take demand capture, that represents three to 5% of the, the buyers in the market, and they are actually in buy mode, whereas the rest of the market, the other 95% aren't actually in buy mode. So what demand generation is, is, is you educating and creating awareness about your brand and the service that you offer. So when those customers do switch across to the demand capture side um, and they go into buy mode, the first business or company they think of is you and you don't have to spend as much money on Facebook ads and Google ads to convert them. So that's where we're at at the moment. And that's, there's a heavy focus there for us currently. Yep. Um, that's a very interesting story that you have just shared. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of startup founders might be correlating with you when you were describing that story, because uh, a lot of them might have gone through the same uh, journey as yours. Um, and, uh, as I told you that I was also working for a startup uh, for three years. And uh, there was a time when I used to do marketing, sales, customer success, all at the same time. Um, and yeah. now when I look at that uh, time, I think that, you know, that was a lot which I was doing. But I think that was a period when I learned a lot. Um, I was still in my early 20s. So I thought that was a good investment of my time towards learning something new. Because I still feel that early 20s is the time when you can invest in learning. Um, and there is no better time than that where you can actually understand what you are good at, what you are not good at, uh, what you should be doing more often. Um, and that's when I decided that uh, probably tech sales and customer success is something uh, which I want to do continuously, uh, which kind of drives me and makes me happier uh, than the other things. So... That is something which I wanted to uh, talk about uh, before we move forward in this podcast. But now I want to understand from you your general experience as a startup co-founder. When you have been, uh, when you have founded something of your own versus when you didn't have something of your own, how different has been your life um, in terms of, uh, you know, the way you uh, earn money or the way you uh, look at the different things in 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 the market because i know that when i talk to startup founders there is a different vision that they have uh, there is a purpose with which they are working um mostly if you talk to any other person they also have a purpose but i think the purpose is not as aligned or as impactful as you see from the startup founders because they know that uh, there is a baby uh, that they are working on continuously so i guess pickup is your baby uh, how do you see it's it's getting imp- creating an impact on the society as a whole yeah well i mean as a as someone who's trying to build a business there's never going to be anyone who cares as much about the business as you um and i think that's probably one thing that a lot of managers fail at is that they expect employees to care as much as they do um leaders founders managers anyone who has some sort of seniority and in a within a business they expect um employees to care as much but just through uh how people 
evolve and people's nature that they're, they're never going to care if it's if they've got no skin in the game as much as you would as a as a founder or you know someone who's putting four or five years into something and it potentially might not even work um so you, you're taking a big risk as a founder um both financially uh in terms of time there's career risk there's a there's a bunch of things that um you're putting on the line um so the, especially at the early stage where you're again as i spoke about earlier you're very limited in terms of resources because you've only got a small team i mean i'm i'm hoping as as we grow and we you know move into other states and you know we potentially raise some capital and all that sort of stuff that um the burden becomes a little bit less in terms of the time pressure um but who knows it, it might get worse um so it, it can definitely be quite lonely um we do have a couple of other founders but they're not in the business day to day so you realize very quickly that you know it can be quite lonely you don't have anyone to turn to the butt really does stop with you so if things fail it's typically because it's your fault whether or not you were the one executing and that thing went wrong you were the person who laid out the strategy for that person to execute that and then it to fail so everything comes back to you um so it's definitely not as sexy as what everyone points it out to be um being a being a founder or someone who's trying to build a business there's a lot of lonely nights long nights i mean i'm working six days a week sometimes seven days a week uh you don't see your partners as much as you would like you don't see your family as much as you would like um, but these are just some of the sacrifices that you make because you see the vision three or four years down the track this could be something really amazing and really big that could change your life and change many people's lives because once the business does get to a mature stage you're hoping that you've you know you've got a fair few employees and you're, you're helping change their lives and grow their lives too so it's once it gets to that stage it becomes less and less about you and more and more about the other people yep that's so that's so insightful uh, again jacob because uh, i know a lot of startups they struggle a lot um and they continue to sometimes uh, build great products but sometimes uh, they leave it halfway and i think that's one of the things that i would uh, like to touch from you you just talked about this thing that um you will not be succeeding all the time yesterday i had posted something on linkedin which said that uh, you know it's it's always okay to fail and you sh- you shouldn't always succeed uh, even if you are failing you should celebrate your failures um a lot of the time we are just celebrating our successes but i think behind those behind that one success there can be 100 failures that you have encountered so i think b- before celebrating that one success you should celebrate those 100 failures isn't it yeah absolutely i mean you don't get to the successes without the failures right i mean i I've, i laid out before our entire marketing um journey so far there was a lot of failures in there um eventually we will get to a place where we nail exactly the way that our marketing should work and we nail the right strategy and from that will come a lot of success but you just it's very very rare where someone comes in and nails strategies from day one one after the other like i mean there's probably no one 
to really like even even the best entrepreneurs in the world like elon musk i mean they they failed time and time again until they got the the whole tesla thing right so um yeah i, th I think those failures do make you stronger it's if you don't give up if you can just keep pushing day after day that's eventually you'll you'll find success i think it was um who was it alex homozi i'm not sure whether you listen to him or you've seen him across linkedin and instagram he's all over the place now anyway he's a big uh, business and marketing guy but one thing that sort of really resonated with me that he said was if you can stick at it over a long enough time horizon or time period you will be successful like the chances of you succeeding are extremely extremely high so um you've just got to get in the reps and and really just not quit that's totally true um i would also like to understand from you on this thing uh, which which i have continued to ask in this special series of episodes for ceos founders and co-founders one question which has remained the same for everyone is that what do you value the most um uh, i know you you are at a different stage so your answer can vary in this one uh, but what would you be valuing the more in terms of idea strategy and team um now a lot of people have come up with this answer of team some of them have said no i think uh, both uh, in fact all three of them are key pillars uh, of success uh, what about the startup mindset jacob yeah look it's an interesting question um you could probably ask 100 people and and get 50 different types of answers um they're all super important i think I think to start with the product and the service is quite important. Um, if you have a product or service that no one wants, it doesn't matter how good your team is or how good your strategy is, you're never going to make it. Um, so you have to really have a market there for the product or service that you're selling. Um, and then I think from there, then strategy becomes super important. And then I think a little bit later down the track, team is super important, but um on the flip side of that if you don't have a few key really good executors in the early days you will you will fail um and as we grow bringing on quality uh performers and high performers is is something that is really important for us um i think that can really make a company from the first few years that you're in business um so yeah i know that's not a very succinct answer but uh yeah i, th I think they're all equally important it's it's tough to say but i think going right back to the start you have to have a product or service that people want and if it doesn't matter how good your marketing is how good your team is how good your strategy is if the product or service isn't um wanted in the market then you'll ne never succeed there is no right answer to that. Uh, no right answer, no wrong answer to that. It's all about uh, how well you can justify what you are saying. Um, and I think you were able to substantially justify. Um, but uh, one of the other things, and this will be one of the last questions for today as well for you, is uh, what was your biggest challenge as a startup founder? And uh, how did you end up tackling that? So there are a lot of challenges that I think you have told us with regards to marketing. Yeah to other things but uh, 
was there a bigger challenge in marketing i'm sure that uh, sometimes uh, raising capital raising investment is one of the toughest part for uh, startup founders was was it that or was it something else for you jacob i'll look that you could probably ask ask me that question in 3 or 6 months time because we are potentially um, looking to raise capital uh, in the near future so we're putting together a pitch deck and all that sort of stuff at the moment um so yeah maybe we have a follow up a follow up episode in a few months time and you can ask me that question i might say that's the most difficult thing we've done but i still think it is uh, around marketing um i think if we could wind back the clock what we would do is literally have one product or service, one avatar, as in one um, ICP, and focus on one channel, and then scale that as much as we can, and then moved out in terms of going after more avatars and more channels. Um, I think we've we've kind of gone in that direction now, where we've um, scaled the the paid marketing right back, and we're focusing on the our content strategy and demand generation across only two channels, which will be LinkedIn and TikTok. I mean, we still be posting some other stuff on the other channels, but they're not really our focus. So um, really having focus on a few, one avatar and one channel, I think would be uh, something that we would have done and was probably our biggest challenge is that we tried to do too many things at, at once with a small team. And yeah, that we definitely came unstuck and, and learned the hard way. Thank you so much, Jacob. Um, that was another uh, interesting answer that you have given us. And I'm sure that there were so many insights that we have gained out of this episode. So thank you so much for participating. Um, and I hope that in the near future, we are able to, once we have, you know, at least had around 20 episodes or 25 episodes in this special series of CEOs, founders and co-founders. Um, and if they are in Australia, I would love to organize one meetup where all those CEOs, founders, and co-founders are invited under the same umbrella. And we can discuss about something in person and learn some new things. Um, I'm sure that when different people with different ideas will come together under the same uh, roof, uh, they are, that will be the most interesting thing that uh, people like me who are young uh, and who really want to learn new things uh, would love to know and would love to you know, listen to. But thank you so much. And I really expect you to be a part of another episode pretty soon once you have raised enough capital in the next six months. <laughs> yeah, well, thank, thanks for having me, Saurabh. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, that meetup sounds amazing. If, if you do end up organizing that, I'd, I'd definitely be up for it. This is an Ultimate Global Podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.